if we are live, we're having some technical difficulties here. It says live now on my screen. Okay, we we are we are live now. We will. Uh, we had a little technical difficulty there getting started tonight. So I'll, I'll do the introductions again. Um, I think we went live briefly and then it kicked us off. So uh, well, it is Thursday, June twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. My name is Mark Rio. I'm your host and Southern California family law attorney. Tonight we have special guest with us, Cassandra Daniels. She is a Houston, Texas based attorney. She's been in the family law space since 2010. So for over a decade now, been practicing and operating her own firm since 2017. So Cassandra, uh, once again, uh, welcome. Uh, a little technical difficulty. Thank um, you. Yeah. Sorry about that for, for all of our viewers. So, um, little disclaimer. I don't know if we caught it the first time attorney disclaimer. I'm barred in the state of California. Cassandra's barred in the state of Texas. Nothing that we talk about tonight should be construed as legal advice. We're just simply here to educate you. And nothing can replace a consultation where a family law attorney in your locality can go over your specific facts and details of your case and give you that legal advice. Absolutely. Now, now if you are in one of our localities, I practice in Southern California, Cassandra in Houston, Texas. Do you cover anything outside of Houston? Um, I, I, I like to say that I'm a Texas lawyer. So anywhere in Texas, if you got a legal issue, give me a call, especially now since we're doing everything via Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thing. I've had, I've had some Northern California things that yeah. I've done. So, uh, if you're in the state of Texas, feel free to reach out to Cassandra. Uh, you can reach her at the Daniels Absolutely. So we will hop right into the state specific portion today um, because the state of Texas has a lot to cover. Um, had a near miss on 50-50 presumption, but still did get one of those first downs we've talked about um, with getting more time for non-custodial parents. So in terms of, we'll kind of quickly go over what happened with the 50-50 presumption bill. There was, I believe it was, it totaled ended up being about 23 co-sponsors in, in terms of state senators and state representatives, bipartisan bill. It ended up in the Senate Family Services Committee, as I believe the official name of the committee. Just so happens that three of the seven committee members were family law attorneys, and they decided to not even take a vote on the bill in committee. And for, for those of you that maybe don't understand or haven't dove into how the legislative process works, when a bill gets filed in the Senate, it will get assigned to a Senate committee. That Senate committee has to vote on the bill for it to go to the, what they would call the full house. So they had a bill with bipartisan support, but it got killed in committee um, by what everyone believes is these three family law attorneys. But there was a win this year. Um, Non-custodial parents in the state of Texas did get a little bit more time. Um, and, and we'll have Sandra kind of walk through that. So in terms of Texas, you didn't get the 50-50 presumption, but you have the standard possession order with elections. Can you go over um, what that means, what the law was before, and what now where the non-custodial parent can get those elections? Right. So a standard possession order typically is from every, the, the non-custodial parent has every first, third, and fifth weekend and beginning at 6 p.m. on Friday and ending at 6 p.m. the following Sunday. Um, the election is that 
pickup and drop off time can begin at the time the child is released from school. So instead of 6 p.m. on Friday, it would begin at the time that the child is released from school on Friday and then end on the following Monday at the time that the child goes back to school. So that's what those elections are. So and based on, I, I ran the numbers on it and it essentially went from what was an every other weekend type of schedule to where the extended SPO or the elections on the standard uh, possession order end up being about 58% to 42%. So it's, it's narrowing that gap. Obviously not perfect yet, but as we talk about every week, the perfect law doesn't get written in every year. We got to keep getting these first downs to get to where there is true equality. Absolutely. So, that's, that's absolutely right. So something I find very interesting in Texas and, um, is how it's determined in those initial orders, how uh, the custodial parent and the non-custodial parent. So can you tell us a little bit in terms of you show up for that first hearing and how is it decided who's the custodial parent, who's the non-custodial parent in that SPO? Okay. So in Texas, we have what is called conservatorship. Um, most people, when they call my office, they say, I want full custody. There's no such thing in the state of Texas as full custody or joint custody. We talk about conservatorship. And really, when you're talking about conservatorship, you're talking about rights and duties. And when you when you allocate rights and duties, there's one person who's going, one parent that's going to be given the exclusive right to designate the primary residence of the child. That person who's given the exclusive right to designate the primary residence of the child is considered to be the custodial parent because they have custodialship of the child. The non-custodial parent is the, is the parent that the child does not live with. Does that make sense? Yeah, so my, my understanding is that Texas heavily relies on the roles the parents played before the divorce or separation in determining that, which, go ahead. I'm, I'm, no, 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 I have finished your question. So, so I, it really wasn't a question. It's more of a statement. I, mm -hmm. I'm of the opinion that if you're in a relationship with someone, mm -hmm. and we're seeing it more and more, I've seen a ton of women in the state of Texas who get raw deals because of the way the laws are written, mm -hmm. but the way it, you take roles in a relationship. So typically now in 2021, man or woman, whoever's making the most money, if one parent has to stay home, like the other parent probably is the one who ends up being the stay at home parent or yeah. adjusting their career. Yeah. And so the state of Texas really doesn't provide for that flexibility immediately to say, I'm going to step back from what I'm doing right now because time with my children is the most important. Right, right. You know what? What the state, according to the family code, family code, the court has to make its decision pertaining to children based on what is the best interest of the child, right? And there, there are several factors that go into that court's consideration of what is in the best interest. So, what was happening, or what the state of things prior to that moment where the court has to make a decision is absolutely critical in the court's decision because it goes into what the what what the child has been familiar with who's been the one that's um, previously been providing the primary care all of those um those elements go into that consideration gotcha and i think i think this points out a lot of times in the father's rights movement or the movement towards equal and shared parenting we want to remove discretion from 
the courts. This, ah. is, this is a situation where a lot of discretion has been removed and it's, oh, yeah. not, it's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The courts, the courts, you know, if the matter has to go in front of a judge, it is 100% decided by the discretion of that court, um, which is why I encourage, and I think the courts encourage too, at least in here in the city, in Harris County um, and, and surrounding counties, in fact, they encourage mediation for the parties to try to resolve the matters and reach an agreement on their own without the court the court having to decide. But if, if you're in a county that does not require mediations or you cannot make an agreement between yourselves, then yeah, once you're in front of a judge, it's no longer in your hands to decide. The court is determining what's in the best interest for that child. Amen. I, I, I always tell California, it's mandatory. Um, mm -hmm. you, you open a case, whether it be domestic violence, paternity, uh, child support or child custody and visitation before you get before you request an order and before mm -hmm. you go in front of the judge there is mandatory mediation with someone yeah. at the courthouse yeah. and they actually don't even let attorneys in they oh meet, really no there is there are no attorneys at this mediation now oh, I, I always encourage i always tell clients like you don't want the judge making decisions about your case yeah, yeah oh, I agree. Ultimately, it takes two to tango in terms of coming to an agreement, coming to a deal. And there are a lot of times when it's too contentious. But I, I see over and over again, it's like you're fighting over these little things that are completely and totally irrelevant. Like yeah. I've seen of lately the uh, the stimulus checks. Like uh -huh. I have seen distri distribution of the stimulus checks hold up a settlement. And yeah. like you have to grab a guy by the shirt collar and say, is this thousand dollars worth going in front of the judge and having no idea what is going to happen that's true that that really is the question because if you have to go in front of the judge you just relinquished your power to be able to to decide for yourself that's that's really the gist of it all yeah definitely absolutely mm -hmm. so let's pull it back into the tech to specifics so you're the one on the ground in the trenches uh, so we talked about the standard possession order and we, we got the, the election. So the increased time for the non-custodial parent that they can just simply elect into now. Mm -hmm. So walk us through uh, a guy that's going to just be getting started out in the state of Texas, going to file for child custody, going to file for divorce or have those things filed by their co-parent. What does that process look like and what should a guy expect going through that? Mm -hmm. Well, it really depends on what he wants. Right. Because the pathway is going to be absolutely different depending on what he wants. If he is just say if he's initiating a suit or if a suit has been initiated against him just simply for financial support of the child, his approach to that is going to be completely different than if this suit has been initiated and the question of custody is that it's at issue. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Financial support versus who this child lives with and who would ultimately be responsible for supporting the child are two two completely different standpoints. If so give so 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 I'll defer back to you. So give me example like what are we talking about so I can advise. Give me a hypothetical. I have a client coming to my office and he's wanting to do what? And I'll tell so you exactly let's what do I'm the most about. common situation. We have let's say um increasing unmarried father was together with with his co-parent for six, seven months and she one day tells him leave you got to get out i'm making the decisions with the child now 
he probably waits at least a handful of weeks before he walks into your office. So he hasn't been able to see his child for, let's say, a month now, despite living with his co-parent and the child for the first seven months. Mm -hmm. What's that process going to look like? Mm -hmm. So that process is going to look like absolutely him making a journal, having the information, the supporting documentation or proof of the fact that they've been residing. And the reason why residing together, the reason why that's important is because when a suit is initiated, concerning the child is going to, the first suit is going to be called a suit affecting parent-child relationship. And in that suit, conservatorship is established. Again, that that has to do with the rights and duties. Who's going to be the custodial or the non-custodial parent? Child support is going to be established as well as medical support. The, the issue with regards to being able to document when he was in the household with the, with the children is important because when you're talking about initiating child support, they can go back four years plus. The code says they can go back four years with regards to establishing child support. And if if you can show that there is a need to go beyond four years, then they can do that. So that means that at the very onset of that suit, someone can walk into a situation where they're already already in arrears for up to four years for the amount of child support that they should have been paying. Wow. Let's let's stop on that because that's okay. very different than the state of California. And I know we're going to dive into child support a little bit deeper later. I know everybody's favorite topic. Um, <laughs> but in the state of California, the code only allows for the state to go back from the date of filing. So, for example, if you got if you break up and then you don't live together, you're separated for two years and then you file and let's say it takes six months to get things rolling in the court because there's so many people out here in california um they can only go back to that date of filing that month of filing in terms of child support so in the state of, yeah so it, it's it's one of those things like where i've seen where they think they're getting back together the case gets dropped and then it gets refiled like three four months later and those nine months that passed since the first one was filed, the reconciliation, everything, the state won't go back and collect child support for those. They can't. Oh, there has to be, there has to be, there's some specific situations that are codified that have to be met for them to go back pre-filing. Let me ask you a question. When you're saying the state, are you, do you literally mean it's the state that's going after this child support or is it the individual party? The state. So all in the state of California, it, it's it's Department of Child Support Services. So it is a state agency that all child support, separate from the family courts, that all child support runs through. So if mom says she doesn't want it, it doesn't matter to her, are you saying to me that the state will on, on their own, you know, sua sponte, go after this money? They can. So uh, we saw it a lot during COVID because if the mother applies for any sort of state benefits, whether that be WIC, whether that be unemployment, whether that be housing assistance, anything, then as part of that, the individual who's acquiring those benefits essentially signs over the right for the state to go after the child support yeah. from the co-parent. Isn't that crazy? And you know that that stems from the federal government, right? Yeah. That, that starts from the. It's it's an act that was that was implemented many years ago through the federal government, and that has been passed down. They they, they have all of these requirements from the states to acquiesce 
to these requirements, the federal requirements, so that they can receive different types of funding, right? There's there's federal funding that federal funding that get, funding that gets channeled down to the states for the establishment of child support. No, before the establishment of child support, establishment of paternity, establishment of child support, the collection of child support, and the collection of arrears. Isn't that crazy? One hundred percent. So let's turn back to Texas. So okay. it gives it gives the co-parent. They can go back up to four years. And, and you yeah. see this in California, even though it's only data filing in the state of California, it may take you two to three months to get that initial hearing where the temp orders are set. Mm -hmm. And then it may take another two to three months for DCSS, the Department of Child Support Services, to set child support. All of a sudden, let's just say there's DV allegations come out of the woodworks, whatever it may be. We've seen we see all kinds of stuff in those initial hearings that just get thrown out there. So dad gets 0% custody in that initial hearing. All of a sudden child support gets set six months down the road. And let's say it's 2K a month in child support, mm -hmm. already $12,000 in arrears. And he literally just found out he got child support. I can yeah. only imagine the hole it puts men in in Texas if it's four years. Yeah, four years is according to the code but the code allows for the courts to be able to go even beyond four years, even beyond four years, if they can show the, you know, just a reasonable, reasonable cause for that. They can go beyond four years. So it is, it, it really is unfair. So you have situations where if mom waits, you know, if mom waits a while before she actually goes to, you know, apply for services or wants to file a suit to try to get some sort of financial support, then that per that that father is on the hook for an, depending on how much he makes for thousands of dollars and it compounds interest at six percent currently. Yeah, that's that's insane. I want to go back to two points you made. Mm -hmm. uh, one is everybody probably thinks I'm crazy because I always preach that when you, whenever you think this is starting to happen, that one of the best things you can do is go out and buy yourself a $9 journal from Walmart and start documenting everything, whether it's a calendar, whether it's a journal, whether it's something. Documenting this stuff and creating a timeline in the moment can create one of the biggest advantages you have because you've taken away the recall factor and you can say, here's what I wrote on this day when it happened. I say Absolutely. this like, if you're a dad who the, the hypo I gave in terms of you're unmarried, you are on the birth certificate, she tells you get out or I'm gonna I'm gonna tell everybody you beat me, which unfortunately is a very common thing that comes across my office on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. She told me I gotta get out or she's gonna she's gonna call the police and tell me, tell them I hit her. Mm -hmm. Start keeping that journal right now. How when did you try to see the child? When did you reach out? When did you do all those things? Because that's going to allow, number one, it's going to allow your attorney to easily put your case together. And number two, it's going to allow you to show the judge that you've been trying. You've been the parent who's been trying to make it work, trying to be friendly. And in the state of California, there's the friendly parent factor. The one who shows they're willing to co-parent in theory should, that should be kind of a notch in that person's, in that, on that person's side of the board. Now, debatable whether that actually occurs, but it's codified that way. Oh, I see. That's interesting. No, we don't we don't have anything like that in Texas. We don't have anything like that in Texas. But no, I agree 100 percent with you about journaling, what's going on. And I and I tell my clients the same thing. It's very important to document it all. Um, and as I was saying before, 
You want to document, you know, when you were there in the home, because you're going to in Texas, you'll be entitled to possession credits. So the time that you lived in the home with the child and you were caring for the child while you lived there, then you're entitled to those possession credits to where if she if they want, if she tries to go back four years or however many years, then for at least that time frame, you should be entitled. You, you will be entitled to um, what is called possession credits. So, yeah, document, document, document any payment you've ever made. Never give cash. Never, never give. Who cash. carries cash now? Why are we giving the Why are we giving your the mother, the father of your children? Why are you giving them cash? I didn't even know. I went to the store the other day, and they're like, "We aren't accepting cash." And I was like, "Who does some? Do people carry cash around?" It's it's funny. Funny. I, I was like, I'm like, do people pay for TVs in cash now? I didn't know that was a thing. It's very funny. I actually had a conversation with someone at lunch today gentleman that was sitting next to me at, at the uh, countertop just pulled out a wad of cash. I'm like, why do you carry all this cash around with you? If you ever get hit upside the head, you're, you're done. You're robbed. You're completely gone. Yeah, you we got, we got so <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> document, document, document that because that also in California, they will go back and give you credits. Like you see a lot of times they've made an out of court agreement and you've been paying $500 a month make sure you have that documented because if you don't, you could walk in there and, and, and child support usually goes in front of a commissioner in California, not an actual judge. And they're going and they're going to ask for proof. And if your co-parent says, no, they've never given me anything. And you were just giving them five $100 bills on the first of every month. You're it's a 50, 50 shot that they give you credit for that money that you've actually already paid. So in California, if you can show proof of the payments, they'll give you credit for it? Yeah. So like, let's say it takes that six months, but you've been paying $500 a month in support. Uh, I've seen it where there's not any proof and both parents just agree that's what's been occurring and they'll give you that back credit. And so in Texas, they have, if you pay, I think, and I really feel, feel like the only reason why this is all in the code is because they want to force you to pay through the disbursement unit. But if you make direct payments, even if you have proof of them, um, any payments that are not made through the disbursement unit can be considered a gift. And I've and I actually have spoken to a lot of different a lot of different fathers in this situation where they were they've been giving mom money and not just not cash, but like Zelle payments, right? Cash app where we have you know electronic record, and they're not given credit for those payments because those were those payments were considered just gifts and not payment of child support though that's one of the things that i am lobbying for change in the state of texas because if my intention when i pay it as the payer is for the support of my child then how can it then be considered a gift and i don't get credit for it you understand yeah. what i'm saying so yeah. what that looks like in application is I have been, as dad, I've been paying, cash shopping mom since the birth of this child money, $200 every month, right? Mom, two years from now, contacts the Office of Attorney General to open up a child support case. The Office of Attorney General is going to go back to the date of birth and have me in arrears from the date of birth, although I can show them proof that I've been giving $200 a month. Unless mom says, yeah, those payments have been for child support, they disregard that. And I'll still be in, re in arrears for that money that, that, that I did not pay according to them. 
yeah, there there are sometimes that that argument of it's a gift. If you give items in the state of California, those items, like somebody like, oh, yeah, she asks for X, Y, and Z, these expensive items for the kid, that'll that'll always be considered a gift and you won't get credit for it. But there, there are a lot of times, and, and weirdly enough, I haven't seen too many times where the parties can test, especially if there's a record, like, why are they sending you $500 a month that they don't give credit in California? I've seen it. I, I have a client right now. They have an order. They have an order that says, in fact, in fact, it was their divorce decree that says he was supposed to pay a specified amount each month via Zelle. They were not going through the disbursement unit. They were supposed to pay via Zelle. And mom, he gets a girlfriend. Mom gets pissed off and she goes through the office of attorney general to open up a new case to get more money. And the office of attorney general then picks up the case. And because he has not been paying through the disperse, disbursement unit, they say that he's in arrears. Like I have a case right now where we're fighting with them to show them he is not in arrears. We've already sent over the record showing that he's been paying her consistently pursuant to the court order via Zelle. And they said to us, well, mom has to sign off agreeing that those payments were made to her for child support and she won't sign off on it. So we're having to go through this whole big ordeal when, when my client hasn't done anything other than following the court order. Yeah. That it doesn't make any sense. Well, I think uh, of the uh, of our, I guess the COVID era family law, the uh, Texas Attorney General's office probably had the most comical press release um, I've ever seen. And you're smirking, so you probably know exactly where I'm going. I think everyone knows if you were in arrears, that first stimulus check, that twelve hundred dollars, got intercepted, and it was probably it was probably like two three weeks after that occurred. The Texas Attorney General released this celebratory press release saying they had collected more child support than they had in any year ever, when in reality they had just intercepted stimulus payments of it's most likely going to be lower class, lower middle class, middle Absolutely. class dads, stimulus checks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely right. It's, 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 just, it's just egregious, in my opinion, what goes on with that child support stuff. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's kind of change a little bit. Let's go. So we have the standard possession order in Texas. So you go to the first hearing and the standard possession order that's ordered. What happens after that? And what options does the non-custodial parent have to fight against that standard possession order? So the state legislator has already predetermined that the presumption is now it's a rebuttable presumption, but the presumption is that the standard possession order is in the best interest of the child. So in order for you to deviate or get a court to deviate from a standard possession order, if at all, you're going to have to make a, uh, an argument that they accept that shows that whatever your proposal is, is in the best interest of the child. And again, I say that's if you can convince the judge because the, the state legislator has already predetermined that that's the best interest, right? So it's codified. The state has decided that the best interest of the child is now the standard possession order with election. So mm -hmm. the 4258 split mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. and for unless those you can show otherwise. Unless you can. Unless oh, we are still live here. It looks like uh, she may have gotten kicked out, but. Perfect time. Uh, we are going to go to commercial break here real quick. And then hopefully once that occurs, 
we will uh, have her back. Oh, she just popped in, so right back on the other side of commercial break. You love your children and want them to have everything. How about both parents? Introducing Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program. The program is very simple. Sign up, download the app, access services. Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program offers access to medical market, telemedicine, mental wellness, medical bill negotiation and advocacy, chronic care, and a wellness savings program with membership add-ons available soon, like prepaid legal services, prepaid college savings plans, prepaid identity theft protection services, and much more. Annual memberships starting at just $25 a month through Father's Day. Here's what our members say about us. You guys are a huge blessing in my life. This community is amazing. I truly thank you for all that you do. Learn more and sign up at www.tfrm.org. Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program. It's about the children. They're today and they're tomorrow. All right, so we got her back there. So uh, welcome back. We're on the other side. I am Mark Real Jr. I am here with Houston, Texas, uh, family law attorney Cassandra Daniels. So we were talking about fighting the what is a rebuttable presumption. Can you so can you go through what a rebuttable presumption is and how someone can go about maybe some situations that you've seen that work in terms of rebutting that presumption. Right. So again, all of the decisions that are that the court makes with regards to a child has to be done so um, from the from the standpoint of the child's best interest. And there are some things that the state legislator has already predetermined to be the child's best interest. Um, so, but yet and still, there is a it's a rebuttable presumption. So it you it you can you can you have the opportunity to present facts and evidence to the court to as to why you feel that your proposal is more and more so aligned with the child's best interest than what the state legislator has already predetermined now it would be up to the discretion of that court to whether or not they agree with that or not and the same goes for not just possession and access, the schedule with visitation, but also with regards to, to child support as well. Yeah. And that, that goes back to the fact, I know there are a lot of men who they argue the courts should have zero discretion. This is a situation where there's the discretion is limited and it's a bad thing for those non-custodial parents. If you were the, if you were the sole provider uh, during the marriage, during the relationship, that lack of discretion can come back and harm your ability to, to get that equal access to your children. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to hop in. We got some questions here that are super relevant to the topics we have been talking about. First one, this is either, this would either be from, uh, has to be from Casey or Rosa, maybe Nick, one of our other uh, hosts on the channel here. If you put in the notes or comments on Cash App, Venmo, et cetera, for child support, not a gift, Will that provide any protection? I think that that's going to help you. It's absolutely going to help you. And, and I honestly, it's really going to, it's going to help the person who is advocating for you. If you're advocating for yourself, it's going to help you have a more of a strong argument as to why it wasn't because the presumption is going to be that it was a gift, right? Mm -hmm. But if you say, okay, well, it's been noted. I noted when I paid it that it wasn't a gift, it was for child support. I think that's going to make your, your argument against the categorization of a gift stronger. 
yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. In the, in the state of California, I think that would be a pretty ironclad proof that yeah. that was the purpose of the payment uh, to get you that credit. Mm -hmm. All right, so we'll move on to more. We've talked about the presumption in uh, the, the SPO presumption. So uh, this is another very common question, very common issue men face. Texas mother refuses to follow decree. Name changing, exchange of child, uh, different living different fiance every six months. It sounds like maybe bouncing around excludes me out of sporting events and made sure that I didn't see my son off for the first day of school while I waited for an over an hour at the school. So we'll encompass all of those. What in Texas, when a co when you're dealing with a difficult co-parent that's not following the order, not allowing your visitation, denying you access to medical records that you have a right to see, school records, what recourse does that parent have? So anytime um, someone does not follow the terms of a court order, they are in contempt of court. Your legal remedy is to file a mo motion for enforcement. Um, what a person faces when they are violating court order and they can be found in contempt, they're facing jail time, they're, they're facing monetary fines, they're facing the payment of attorney's fees. I love these cases. I love when people call me. Um, I get I get a lot of men calling me about this when, uh, you know, mom is not adhering, particularly to the possession and access stuff. Like she won't let me have the child. I love these cases because a lot of times what happens is, um, this mom has just gotten used to doing what she wants when she wants. And she doesn't think that there are any repercussions for her actions. So I love when I get these phone calls because I'm the one to say, okay, not on my watch. They just need to know that you're willing to boss up, like how, how I like to say it, boss up and take them to court. And, it, and a lot of times it doesn't even matter what happens in court. The fact that you were willing to take her to court is enough for her to see, okay, I'm not going to be able to just do what I want to do when I want to do it. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to play ball or play by the rules or because when they get, once you file the suit, once you file a motion for enforcement in the motion itself, you say you're asking for jail time and you have to serve them with this, with this motion. So they get the paperwork and they're like, Oh crap, I'm facing jail time. I didn't know it was this serious. And a lot of times, more time than not, it more times than not, it's enough to get them to get get themselves all the way together and start, uh, you know, acting like they're supposed to be acting according to the order. Yeah. And I think there's there's two key points. You see this so frequently. I think I, I have very diverse client base um, and you see this certain cultures, just culturally, the mom and her entire family jump down the man's throat saying you can't take the kids away from the mom you can't do this you can't do that and then they'll just disregard the court order and say like no she's decided what's best for the child um yeah. that's not yeah. the truth and that's something that's a paradigm that that needs to be shifted culturally i think in terms of the way men think about it because and i'll, I'll pass it off to you after i give my thought on this a lot of times when men come to me, it's six months later than they should have. It's a year later than they should have. I've had some guys come to me in the last couple of weeks and it's, it's for things that happened when COVID first got started. 
and you limit your 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 pathways how you can move forward if you've waited that long yeah in every single state there's not a single state now that has a on its face sexist family code like right there's, there's not one that says that kid goes with mom that was right. something that that did occur in the past Mm -hmm. But that is not the case anymore. You have all of the same rights okay. until the court orders orders something, until it's filed with the courts in most states, until it's filed and served. You have the identical rights, full rights, just as the mom does. But I see it over and over again, just in certain demographics where it's like, I can tell it's coming. I'm like, they've, they've told you you have no rights. They've told you that mom gets to make all the decisions, haven't they? And it's just like a nod and like, how'd you know? Yeah. 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 But, you know, there's a personal responsibility that each party has, particularly if you're in the if you're in the seat of, you know, having your rights uh, infringed upon or if you're, you know, being done unfairly, there's a personal responsibility that comes with that. And sometimes that's no more than just, you know, taking the proper measures to, you know, bring remedy to your situation. You cannot allow things to persist for too long. Um, nothing comes, nothing good comes out of that for you. Yeah, definitely. It's it's one of the like, the the biggest mistake. I would say the number one mistake I see men make is not doing anything. Yeah, just waiting. And, mm -hmm. and I and I think it, the conversation comes to this every single week. Studies show that whether it be divorce or separation. 70 to 80% of those are initiated by the woman. The woman's the one that says, I want a divorce. The woman, the one that leaves or tells the man to leave. Those, mm -hmm. So a lot of times men are the unwilling participants. But mm -hmm. unfortunately in family court, if you choose not to participate, they will move on without you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they will. And it is much easier to deal with it the first time around than trying to get an order reversed either on some technicality or yes. if there if there was nothing procedurally done wrong, getting the order changed. Like here in the state of California, if you default, there has to be a change of circumstance for you to get a change in custody. Order. That's right. Like mom most likely filed for full custody. And if they if she gets the default entered, you have zero rights, zero mm -hmm. access to your children. Yep. And technically, for a court to take up an RFO, a request for order for change in custody and visitation, you it's your burden to prove there's a change in circumstance. That's right. And good luck trying to prove to a judge that the change of circumstance is that you sat on your butt and did nothing for nine months. That's a great, great, great point. I think that hurts a lot of people a lot of fathers more than anything is not being responsive when they get these notifications, when they get these letters, when they get served and just sitting on it and getting these defaults that is hurting people. So, so, so very much. And like you say, and this is consistent in Texas as well, in order for you to change the order, modify the order, you've got to show that there's been a material and substantial change in the circumstances since the last order. And if it was a default, what has been the this material and substantial change? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's And I, I always tell dads a lot of times, it's you got to play the long game in this. Like you're not going to get the perfect order first shot. You're not going to, especially state of Texas, if you're a full-time working dad, you're probably going to get slapped with the standard uh, possession order to begin with. And you're going to have to work your way through the process to get more. Mm -hmm. But you got to show the judge that you're trying. 
I think in the state of California, I see it where if you put effort in, if you continue to show you're trying and continue to push for more, the judge, if you're doing everything right, a lot of times there may not be that change in circumstance, but it's like this dad is trying. This dad's mm -hmm. doing his best every single time they show up. Like he's done this. He's done that. He's he's moved into a place where the kids all, all have their own rooms. He's done all of these things. And they're going to be more inclined to say, at minimum, he is trying. Yeah. I all agree. Right. So we'll move on. I got. I think I got one more um, question. So... We'll, we'll do this. We'll do this specific to California and specific to Texas. Okay. So uh, moveaways. So if we know baby mama um, is going to be moving soon, order says child stays in the same school district unless given approval by dad or court. Pretty standard for school age kids anywhere. She's received. She has not received that. Should we be filing a motion before she moves? Uh, if, for me in, in Texas, you, no, it's the, in that situation, the case is not ripe yet, right? Nothing has happened. She hasn't, she hasn't violated the court order by attempting or threatening or promising or planning to move. It's not until she actually moves that there's been a violation. So you just, you would really have to just wait until she actually moves, unfortunately, in Texas. Wow. So California, a little bit more lucky. There's actually a carve out in terms of ex parte hearings. If you, if there's reasonable belief that the parent is, I think it, I think it technically I had to look at the actual code. I think it says state leaving the state, but you could probably get it granted if they were leaving the region. A lot of times in Southern California, they'll say the parent has to stay in the seven Southern California counties um, is a very common, common phrasing wording used in orders. So mm -hmm. you actually kind of have an express lane to attempt to cut that off now. Really? Yeah, but it could backfire. It could backfire in terms of you get into court within three, four days, and then the judge grants the move away. Right. But you've done something. Let me ask you, so so you're saying that you can just file a ex parte temporary restraining order without filing an initial suit in, in California? So you can, you can file them hand in hand. So California, I think, is much different than Texas in this. It's, family law is a form-based practice area. So you can, in theory, practice family law doing nothing but filing forms in the really? state of California. Really? So, yeah, so there's there's a lot of instances where you your first hearing is on an ex parte basis, and that's where the temp orders get set. So that's that's not necessarily uncommon. I think it's just a product of it being so form based. Like you don't have to draft out your own motions when you request any sort of order. There's the form called the FL three hundred, and so if you want a court date and your case is ongoing, no matter what it is, you fill out an FL three hundred, and an attorney will usually attach a declaration to the end of it, explaining things more, but you don't have to. It's strictly form-based. Wow. I'm going to need to come out there with my with some forms. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's literally all it is. You, you use the same forms over and over and over again. I, I got right here on my computer down the right side about 50 forms. <laughs> I, I think I can do all of California family law with those 50 forms and wow. not have to use anything else. But right. that's, that's one of those things to the to the viewers here. 
that state to state, it is so, so, so different. That's why it's important. Even let's just say you, you aren't able to afford an attorney. If you aren't able to afford an attorney right now because the financial situation, whatever it may be, to get in and, and even if it's pay a little bit of money, even if it's pay a couple hundred dollars to do a handful of consultations, that can be wildly beneficial, a lot more beneficial than what I see a lot of, which is throw questions out to Facebook groups um, or listening to a show like this. Like I said, I'm only in California. Cassandra's only in Texas. And so that may not pl apply specifically. Like I saw a yeah. comment down the side about uh, a gentleman had said that in New York, no matter what, they count the payments prior to child support being ordered as a gift. That may be the case in New York. Um, obviously, there's a presumption in Texas, and then there is there's debate that can occur on it in California. So each state is is very very different how they go about doing things. Now there are some principles to success, and we'll kind of move on to this now uh, that uh, that can apply to any state. But a lot of the technical stuff is very state specific. And in California, I don't know if it's this way in Texas. In California, it's county to county. Really? Yeah. So it, it, depending on the county, some counties, it's super easy to e-file. Uh, other counties, San Bernardino County, you got to fax your filings in. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, how it is in Texas, too. We're, yeah. we're still in 1985 or whatever it may be. Yeah. <laughs> um, some of them out here have been doing Zoom. Others have just been doing straight dialing, no video. So it can vary county by county. So there's, it's really invaluable to talk to a local family law attorney because they're going to give you, be able to give you the lowdown on your judge. They're going to be able to give you the lowdown on the process, what to look at, what to avoid. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll move on to just, we'll, we'll talk some. So we, we've talked about overcoming the presumption in, in the, in the SPO. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you see dads make? And what should they do or what can they do to avoid them? Um, as it relates to that, overcoming the presumption of, for an SEO? Just in general, we're, we're going through the process. What are some of the co most common mistakes you see made? And what would you like dads to know so that they can avoid those mistakes? So I'll, I'll, I'll break it down into two sectors, right? So with regards to child support, um, and we touched on this a little earlier, the biggest mistake that I see dads make is, you know, making these payments, um, cash payments or payments that are not through the disbursement unit that you're setting yourself up. And like, I'm seeing a lot of the comments about, you know, people who have paid and the monies that they've paid have been considered a gift. You're, you're setting yourself up for that. You know, I, I even advise my clients or even my male friends and family, you know, it's probably best if she hasn't initiated a child support order, it's best to put your own stuff on child support. That's really the only way in Texas to avoid having to at some point be in some sort of arrears or owing back child support. I, I don't care how good you how well you guys are getting along at the, at the current moment. There's something bound to happen that is going to, you know, disrupt that and and make her mad and you got to get a child support order against you and now you're in arrears and those arrears are hard to dig yourself out of that hole man it's so hard and then the collection measures are so aggressive and here in texas you know they will suspend your license they will you know suspend your professional license 
they will, you know, you know, keep you from being able to travel out of the country, you know, all these different things that they do, man, it goes on your credit, all these things that they do. So the the biggest, the best way to, to avoid that, number one, no cash payments, two, put yourself on child support. I don't care what kind of relationship y'all have. To avoid that in the end, it's the it's best to do it that way. With regards to uh, mistakes that that I see a lot of dads make with regards to possession and access and 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 if they have the goal of wanting to be named as the custodial parent um not being more involved right um if you know that you have hopes just say if you're married or you guys are living together or whatever the case may be you want to be as involved with that child's life or in that child's life and the daily processes as possible because if, if you ever stand before a judge in a situation like that, when you're asking for custody, you're asking to be named the, the primary conservator or the, the custodial parent, or you're asking for something more than a standard possession order, you want to be able to point to how you've been just as equally involved as the other parent. Because now you have equal footing when you're standing before the judge and no parent has a better claim or right than, than the other parent. But if all you've been is the dad that, you know, just comes in in the evening and kisses the child on the head and goes off and do your whatever you do, uh, those things hurt you in the end um, when it comes down to you trying to get more than an SPO or um, trying to be named as the primary conservator. Yeah, I, I, I would put it pretty simply is doing something, not waiting. Um, mm -hmm. she's, she's probably not coming back. She's probably not changing her mind. Mm -hmm. um, I told someone in the comments, um, I don't necessarily know if it impacts, but I think probably 99 out of 100 attorneys would rather be the petitioner um, in a family law action, at least here in the state of California. You get to talk first. You get to set the narrative. You get to kind of go on the offensive. And California has some really bad domestic violence laws in family court. So you can kind of head some of those off. Um, so doing something, if she says she wants to leave, she said she's filing for divorce, the next day, being being with an attorney, talking to him, talking through your options. Yeah. Number two is once you get that attorney, don't hide the bad facts from us. Oh God, no, please don't. <laughs> You've got to tell us the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this is another topic that comes up every single week. The attorney-client privilege is probably the strongest privilege that exists. There are just certain things that as attorneys, we will have to go to the grave with not being, not telling a single soul what we heard. Absolutely. And Sandra's laughing because um, you hear it on a weekly basis. Uh, you hear something new. You're, you're, you're just Absolutely. at what has occurred. Tell us the bad facts because if you tell us ahead of time, we'll usually be able to build a strategy around it. Absolutely. If, if it comes out at hearing, so you got to realize uh, discovery isn't as in depth as say some forms of civil litigation, employment law, business, things like that. If it comes out at hearing, it's very tough on the fly to fight that. Or if you tell us three days beforehand and we can't craft the argument around that, like we're just stuck with what we have. Absolutely. I, I, I snicker for a couple reasons. One, I just had this conversation with one of my clients today. and I, But I tell my clients this all the time. There are two people in the world that you never lie to, and that's your doctor and your lawyer. Your lawyer, because they're like you just said, is we, we have that attorney-client privilege. So anything anything that you say is protected. Two, I want to know the bad facts. I want to hear them from you before 
you know, I have, I'm in court and I, I don't want to hear it on the stand. I don't want to hear it in a hearing. And I'm so adamant about that, that I make it clear to my clients. If I hear something on the stand that I should have heard from you first, you just lost your lawyer. You just, you have just lost your lawyer. Yeah. I, I sit down and, and I think the, the biggest thing I usually see is in that initial conversation, I use a one, I use a one page sheet in terms of starting to build out strategy. It's going to be, okay, what do you think the strengths of your case are? What do you think she thinks the strengths of your case are? What is she going to say? What, what are the worst five things she's going to say about you? Yeah. What are the worst five things you're going to say about her? You need to get those out. You need all, to too, all too often I see that a guy's not necessarily comfortable in that first, second, third meeting. And then we talk for a fifth or sixth time and it's like, Hey, so I, I have something to tell you and we're hours into building out your strategy and you <laughs> give us this game changing bad fact or good yeah. fact. I see just as many guys that hide bad facts for, about themselves, withhold bad facts about their co-parent because they don't want to harm them. You no, we need to know it. We need to know it all because, again, it's not about judgment. Like this, I feel like a, a legal office is a judgment-free zone. It's all about us having the information that we need to develop the best strategy for our client. So, if there's missing information, I'm not going to be able to prepare my case. I'm not going to be be able to prepare my approach in a hearing as I would if I had known those facts. So, there's abs it's a waste of everyone's time, money, energy, and effort. For you not to be 100% transparent with your with your attorney. Yeah, you, you as a client, the client owns the facts, and the attorney's job is to take those facts and craft the best strategy possible. Absolutely. So if you're giving us bad information, or you're not giving us complete information. That's that's like giving us half of a scouting report. Absolutely. It, it just it doesn't. It's not going to yield the best result. We're going to make bad decisions or not the best decisions because we're operating off of half the facts. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are coming towards the end of the hour. Go ahead if you have any more questions, drop them in the comments. We'll take a handful of them at the end here, and uh, we are going to turn to something we've talked quite about quite a bit about already tonight, and that is the. Um, but we're going to be more specific about it. Tell me about the Child Support Performance and Incentive Act. What okay. is that and how does it impact fathers? Okay, so this is, an, uh, this is a act from the federal government, right? And the way that it affects fathers and my issue with it and what I've been proposing as an, as an amendment to that act is there are five points of measurement um, that the that's established in that act with regards to, well, let me, before I start there, the, the child support performance and incentive act is basically a program established by the federal, federal government for the states. And there's five measurements of performance that if there are certain levels met in those five categories, then there are certain amounts of money that each state gets from the federal government. Those five measurements are one, the state's performance in establishing paternity, um, establishing child support orders, enforcement or collection of child support, and then the collections of arrears, right? Um, so if the state performs that, depending on what level, they get certain amount of dollar, dollar amounts from the federal government. And so my issue with that is 
all good. If, if there's a dollar amount attached to my ability or my performance in establishing child support, then I'm going to be more incentivized as the system is designed, incentivized to, you know, find the dad, right? I'm going to be more incentivized to put that dad on child support. I'm going to be more incentivized to collect child support, and I'm going to be more incentivized to collect any past arrears. My issue with that is it doesn't provide for modifications. And I think modifications are so important because people have changes in their lives, changes in income, changes in employment, particularly this last past year of COVID. There were a lot of people that were laid off, furloughed, unemployed, but they had these past child support orders that they are under. And I know in the state of Texas, modifications in situations like this are not easy to come by. And so, and and then, and again, a lot, like I said before, a lot of this stuff comes from the federal, gov federal government and channels down to the state. So if it starts at the federal government level, if they add as a six measure modifications, right? And these states are incentivized and they receive money by their performance level in, in you know, establishing or granting modifications or making them accessible, modifications accessible, then I think that's going to solve a lot of the problems that we see with arrears and child support collections and all of that. Changes in people's financial situations happen every day, but it is hard for these people to get changes in their orders. And that just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, that's that's one of the uh, the challenging things. Like a point, a point here that despite, say, in the state of Texas, where those modifications are challenging, I want to pull my hair out with the number of guys who hey, keep reaching out to me. Um, here's a resource. This is not me complaining, but the number of guys that reach out to me on Facebook or 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 through different means that are, hey, I lost my job a year ago. What do I do about child support? If you lose your job, if there's a material change in circumstance, you need to go down and immediately file. Now, the state of Texas, a little bit different in California. If you lose your job and two days later in that same month, you go file for a child support modification. All you have to do in the state of California, if DCSS won't do it, you file an FL 300 requesting a modification and you'll go in front of a judge to have that modified. You're kidding me. Just what no. the form. So California, you have two options. Number one is the first option I always tell guys, like I said, before you're going to retain me, what you're going to do is you're going to call your county's Department of Child Support Services, and you're going to tell them you lost your job and you want a modification. They're going to send you a packet, and you're going to immediately fill that out, and you're going to send it back in immediately. And then upon filling it out, you're going to bug them for the next two or three days and are you going to file for a modification? Are you going to file for a modification? They have this nasty little habit of uh, only filing for modification when child support's going to go up. <laughs> but if they don't move fast enough, if it's going to be another couple months before they move, all you have to do is file a request for order, child support. You're going to submit the financial documents and you're going to go in front of your judge. And California is just a, uh, a worksheet. It's just a calculation. There's, wow. no, really, there's really minimal discretion. And I know there are other states out there that like are like that. But if you wait six months and you build up all those arrears in the state of California, if nothing's been filed, we can't go back and adjust that. But if you file something and it takes six months, they can backdate it. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, you can't go back and, and, and adjust it. And that's not just the state of California. That comes from the Bradley Amendment, again, from the federal, federal, federal government. You cannot modify child support retroactively. So you, you really have to. But I, I love the fact that it's just that easy. It's not that easy in Texas. Someone I've heard, I hear it all the time, like fathers will reach out to the office of attorney general to say, I've lost my job. And they think that's enough that they've notified them. But you know, that's not enough. It, it's then on the office of attorney general to initiate a confirmation of child support, a child support review order, a child support re review. And that's what it's on them to do that once they've been notified. But a lot of times, most times that doesn't happen. So that really leaves it on the person who's had the change in their financial circumstance to file a suit with the district court. But it's not that easy. If you don't, I mean, you really got to know what you're doing. It's, it's not as easy as just filling out a form. Here. So it sounds, sounds like Texas is more like your standard, most issues in family court are more like standard civil litigation would be in an employment dispute or in a, a contractual dispute. Yeah. Whereas states like California, it is not at all the same. Like I wow. said, you practice, you can get everything you need done with exception of a few things with pre with forms that you just have to put the information into. But I but you know what though? We so that means that states like Texas, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? We can just see how states like California do it, and we just kind of bring in some of those ways because the way that you just described that it ha that it happens or works in California is absolutely the way that it should work in Texas. A person, because think about it, if you can't afford to pay your child support, you cannot afford to hire a lawyer to file a modification case. You just cannot, right? Yep. But the way that it works in Texas, you've got to have the knowledge to know how to be able to go down to the courthouse, draft up your petition for a modification, file it, know that you got to get that person served, and then know that you, the court's going to require mediation. All of the things that a non-lawyer would not know, you're required to know unless you have the resources to hire an attorney to do that for you. And I think that's unfair. Yeah, I, I think that, that a lot of attorneys would look at it. And I, I sat through the American Bar Association Family Law Sections Conference a couple of weeks back. Not a word about it, but there's serious issue with access to justice in family law. And, and it's even worse for fathers. There are a lot more resources for mothers than there are for fathers. So yeah, that's right. Because a mom can, I hate to, I hate, I hate to make it about mom and dad, but it just ends up happening that way. But a person can call the here in Texas, call the office of attorney general and say, I want child support from this, this man. And they need say, they needn't say anything more. The office of attorney general is going to jump to it. They're going to because that's one of the incentives, right? Establishing child support. So they jump to it and they say, we don't represent mom. We don't represent dad. We represent the state. And they jump to it and they get this child support order established. Right. But if dad calls the office of attorney general and says, I need a modification. I lost my job. Cricket. The, the, the MJ shrug. I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> That's not fair. It's not fair. It's not right. And what that looks like in reality is this man is on the hook. Just say he's supposed to be paying a thousand dollars a month. Right. And he's lost his job. He is on the hook for that one thousand dollars every month. So every month that he doesn't pay a thousand dollars, it's accruing um, arrears, arrears and interest. And now all the collection measures that we talked about previously, all of that is now in play 
when all of that could have been remedied by him being able to have a modification readily available to him. Yeah. It's just common sense in my mind. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing we get this question weekly like why do these things not change? It's because it's easier to continue to do the things the way we've been doing them. Uh, change is difficult. And then we look at if there are bad laws. So Texas has some bad processes and procedures around child support. Mm -hmm. California, I would say, probably has the worst domestic violence law in family court of any state in the country. Mm -hmm. But think about the way your representatives in, in Congress or in the state house or it's the state assembly out here in California, mm -hmm. it's much easier to vote for a very strict DV law publicly than it is to vote for one that's maybe not as tough, but actually accomplishes what you're looking to accomplish. Mm. Child support. It's easier. It's going to be easier to vote for a law that we're going to collect more child support. We're going to take care of the kids for people who don't understand what's going on through the system. Right. What's more challenging is standing up and saying the system's broken. We need to make this change and people are going, there's going to be, going to be custodial parents who are going to get substantially less child support. Yeah. One, of the, one of the biggest arguments against the 50-50 the presumption is that fathers are just going to use that to avoid child support. I hate to break it to them, but there are, going to, there are just as many moms who are trying to leverage the system now and dads who are custodial parents who are only trying for that 100% custody to get that money. You're yeah. going to have those people on the fringes and outskirts, no matter what the rule and what the law is. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. I mean, I feel like the, a lot of the reason why, um, you know, the arguments against or why the, some of these ideals do not, you know, garner the support and traction is because a lot of it comes from, unfortunately, men, because they're the ones that have been in large numbers adversely affected by these laws and provisions that are in currently in place and then those men get, men get dismissed as being deadbeat dads oh they just don't want to pay you know so you know there's no credit real credibility given to the issues that are brought up because it's just this dismissed as deadbeat dads i i i love that i you know i'm on the side of this that i'm on um because i'm not a deadbeat dad you know i am a a woman who received child support. I benefited from child support. I understand the importance of child support, but I also, as a family lawyer, have a front row seat to the flaws and the injustices and inequities that exist currently within the law. So my proposal is not, let's get rid of child support. Let's get rid of the system altogether. But I am saying that there are obviously and absolutely some modifications and tweaks that need that are required to make it more equitable and make it more so in align with the child's best interest. Yeah, 100% agree. All right, so we're, we're a little bit over an hour now, so we're going to hop in and take a few questions before we head out. So uh, do, you, do you in Texas have a guardian ad litem or child's attorney? We have ad litems that are appointed in specific types of cases, but they're not appointed in, 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 in most of them. Okay. Uh, well, I got a question about it. They're not super common. They're in very specific situations in California. So maybe we'll, uh, Mike, if you want to ask that question another week, I know some states are very, very common. All right. So we'll go here. So what do you do 
if the mother of your child picks up everything and leaves to a whole different state without warning, not being able to see a child for two years, how can you prove alienation? We'll skip the alienation piece. Uh, I'm just going to have an interview on that next week. It's going to be all about alienation. But what do you do if your co-parent picks up and moves? So the question that, that comes to mind for me is whether or not there's an order in place that prohibits that. If you have an order in place that doesn't have a geographic restriction, then that person is within their rights to move. Now, that doesn't keep you from being able to go back to that court to file a modification. Your argument would be that it was not because you in Texas, um, you have to show that there's been a material and substantial change since the last order. So the argument that I would make in that in that in that situation would be that that move to another state was not in consideration at the time that the agreement was made or the order was made for there not to be a geographic restriction. And so I would seek a modification to the order imposing a geographic restriction, um, you know, based on that change. Yeah. But outside of that, I, in Texas, there's not much you can really do because if, if without a geographic restriction, which is why we like to have geographic restrictions to keep this from happening, right? Yeah, California, a little, little slightly different. So the minute you file in California, you can request an automatic temporary restraining order, this blanket restraining order that whether it's divorce, child custody, paternity, whatever it may be, uh, that covers move away. So essentially it pauses everything the way it is and it bars either parent from leaving the state with the children. So in the temporary orders, there's pretty much always that included. Um, Southern California, very, very common for judges, if the parents can't agree on a geographic restriction, to just say must stay in the seven Southern California counties, which is a very large, I mean, it's bigger than a lot of states, mm -hmm. but it does provide some protections. That just goes into the level of detail. You never know what your co-parent's going to do. You should mm -hmm. always push for some sort of geographic restriction. If you know you're not leaving the county, you can push it. I, I, I've seen even, uh, not necessarily in California, but I've seen dad's orders that include city limits. Um, yeah. more, more common counties or a county and the donut of counties around it, but yeah. something in place so you don't have to deal with it. I know a lot of guys will make deals in good faith, and uh, and then it turns out the other parent wasn't necessarily was looking for that loophole to just get away. Yeah, no, I, I oppose deals in good faith because it always changes. Yeah. All right. So let me we'll get we'll get one more question here. Found one here. OK, so we'll get Kenneth here. All right. So. How can a father reverse the custody order when mom lied to get a PFA and stole the kids after she was gone for six months? So we'll kind of break this down. There's a lot there. Um, so once there's a final order in place in Texas, so you have, you have your trial and the state of Texas, I, don't, I know it's not common, but uh, I know you're one of the few states you can have a jury trial. Um, mm -hmm. But you have your final trial, most likely a bench trial, which means just in front of the judge. The judge rules on it. What do you do or what do you have to do if you want a modification after that point? So once the order, I'm assuming that this is after some time after the order. Um, the, if, if, if not, 
Um, once an, a judgment is rendered by a judge after trial, um, the court maintains its plenary power for 30 days after that judgment has been entered. So if you want, if you're, you know, if you have, if you meet the requirements according to the code with regards to uh, filing the motion to set aside the judgment or some sort of motions to challenge the judgments, then those have to be filed within the requisite amount of time, right? To challenge that judgment. But if we're talking about it's beyond the 30 days, this is not about an appeal. This is just, you know, you're down the road, six months, a year, two years, five years down the road, and you want to change the order, then it's going to be that modification that we talked about earlier, showing that there's been a material and substantial change in the circumstances since the rendition of the judge's uh, ruling, and um, then filing that suit so that you can seek that modification, showing that change. That's a uh, similar, varies county to county out here in California. Uh, there are some counties where there are some documents, specific documents separate from just a request for order that need to be filed. But in general, you just need to file an FL 300 request for order and argue what the change in circumstance is. Now, like mm -hmm. LA County, a little bit different. You have to file some paperwork to reopen the matter. Mm -hmm. But once there's been a final trial, you're probably going to have to show substantial change in circumstance to get a court to readdress the situation. Yeah. So, all right. So we we're a little bit over an hour and 10 minutes now, so I don't want to keep you uh, too late. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, where can they get a hold of you? Now, you're based out of Houston, Texas, but you said in the Zoom world we live in. Yes. What? Uh, how can they get a hold of you? Um, so if you're looking to reach me, the best way to do that is going to be either through my website, which is thedanielslawfirm.com. That's T-H-E-D-A-N-I-E-L-S, lawfirm.com. Or you can just call my office. That number is 346-703-1234, 346-703-1234. And that, that's really the quickest way to get a hold of us. My assistant will will take the call and set you up for a consultation and you and I can chat. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank um, you for having was, me. It was very informative. Your, your state has a very interest. I guess it's very active and interesting right now. Um, sorry to all the guys there. there I'm flooded with questions over here from YouTube and Facebook, but we just don't have the time to get to all of them. Um, I saw Casey in here um, posted about it. But uh, here in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start posting pretty regularly on the Father's Rights Movement page pre-recorded videos um, that are going to be answering some of these questions that get posted that we just can't get to. So we got some more information coming. We got some more stuff coming. Next week, um, we're going to have a very special guest on July 1st, Ajish Joji, who is a, an attorney in Michigan who actually just wrote a book for the American Bar Association litigating parental alienation will be able to talk with us about parental alienation and how to litigate it, which can be very tricky and challenging even for an attorney. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely change pace a little bit next week. Cassandra, thank you for joining us and we will see everyone else next Thursday. Thank you.